What's it really like to be in a relationship with God? You know, that's an important question for you to ask yourself and settle on an answer you can live with, come what may. But take it from me, you should do this while you're sailing in calm waters or strolling along on a level pathway. My mistake I see now was waiting too late to decide. You're listening to Divine Connections, a podcast about connecting the truth you believe to the life you really live. I'm Kelly J. Grace, and you're listening to episode number four, God is Easy to Live With. It was the 1970s, and I stood in the middle of my kitchen in front of my Harvest Gold refrigerator, and I made a truly awful decision. Honestly, I had just had it. I had followed the rules, and what had it gotten me? Heartbreak and impending disaster were on the horizon, like this bank of dark, angry clouds of of a tornado coming, bearing down on my life. And there was this fierce wind blowing straight and hard in my face, and like Dorothy clutching her little dog Toto, I didn't get to the cellar in time. So I decided in a moment to make a dramatic course correction. 180 degrees to be precise. I thought at the time that I was going to take my life in a better direction for myself and for my children, but that's not how it turned out. Not until much later. You know, in his beautiful little book, The Root of the Righteous, A.W. Tozer says this, From a failure to properly understand God comes a world of unhappiness among good Christians. And it was just that failure on my part that let doubt and discouragement get the upper hand in the moment and push me over the edge into impulsiveness and to bold but reckless action. I hadn't properly understood God. I don't know, and I can't know if something truly miraculous might have happened in my very broken marriage in due time if I'd only been patient in the trial and found the faith to keep waiting on the Lord. What I do know is that I gave up on God, and that's always a mistake. This is the story that I mentioned before, my two-and-a-half-year episode of backsliding. And it began that day in my kitchen, surrounded by all those Harvest Gold appliances. I had a cassette player sitting on the Formica countertop, and there was this old Maranatha music song playing. And they, of course, sang in beautiful harmony, let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship him. And I walked across the kitchen. I can hardly even say this out loud. It's It frightens me now, but I did it in that moment. I walked across the kitchen and I pushed the stop button. And in my own heart, I said, I don't think I will. I've been doing that, forgetting about myself for 13 years in this marriage. And look where it's gotten me. You know, at almost every Christian wedding I've ever attended, someone reads 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. And I know you've heard it too. But listen to how the Living Bible paraphrases that beautiful section of scripture. It says, love is very patient and kind. It's never jealous or envious. 
never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It's never glad about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to them no matter what the cost. You will always believe in them, always expect the best of them, and always stand your ground in defending them. You know, we read it at weddings as kind of a poetic admonition to the newlyweds, inspiring them to reach for love as the foundation of their new relationship and then extend love to one another as the days and years go by. Now, I have to tell you, I wrote some very sad chapters and some dark passages in my own life story over those next couple of years after that fateful day in my kitchen. In fact, it would be nearly three years between that day in my kitchen and the day when I again read 1 Corinthians 13. But in that day that I read it again, I realized that God had continued to love me just as he had loved me all along. He was exactly what 1 Corinthians described. That is how he had treated me throughout our relationship regardless of how I treated him or responded to him. With patience, with kindness, not demanding his own way, not irritable or touchy. He didn't hold a grudge when I offended him, and I could feel him rejoicing when I was ready to return to him. You know, I deeply regretted that I hadn't kept faith with him, that I hadn't had faith in him, that I hadn't known him nearly as well as I thought I did. I had completely underestimated God, and I had tragically overestimated myself. But what I learned in my own prodigal experience is now deeply etched in my soul, and it is this. God is easy to live with because God is love. He does it perfectly and continuously, because he himself never changes. He responds to my love with ever-increasing revelations of himself. He always keeps giving of himself and drawing me as close as I'm willing to come. He is the giver in our relationship, and really anything he asks of me is just a small, small portion of what he's already given to me. So on that day, two and a half years after I stopped that cassette and silenced the song, he spoke to me again. He called me to come back into my relationship with him, to return once again and find refuge in his love and joy in his presence. Now, these last lines from Tozer sum up exactly what I discovered about my God in that pivotal moment. God is the sum of all patience and the essence of kindly goodwill. We please him most, not by frantically trying to make ourselves good, but by throwing ourselves into his arms with all our imperfections and believing that he understands everything and loves us still. 
Yes, God is easy to live with because God is love. And you know, it only took a moment to break my fellowship with him, but it also only took a moment to ask him to restore it. And every moment in between was a lesson in loss. And every moment since has been a lesson in his faithfulness and love. Now, I want to share a little word about trials because they happen to us all. And when one comes your way, how you cope with that trial will largely depend on your own beliefs about God and your relationship with him. You know, trials reveal the outer limits of our faith in God. In a trial, God takes us, as it were, right out to the edge, and then he asks us to take another step in faith without knowing when or how our trial will finally come to an end. In the middle of a trial, we pray, but our prayer is, Lord, make it stop. Now, though that is totally normal human nature, in a child of God, it shows a lack of spiritual maturity. And here's what I mean by that. In the book of James, James tells us that we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. And patience is really the ability to stand firm under some pressure. And a trial is pressure, as anyone who's ever been in one knows. Now, if we do that, James says that patience will produce a perfect work in us. It will turn adversity into opportunity. That's a little note out of the Nelson Study Bible, and I love it. Trials can turn adversity into opportunity. So I want you to listen to James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, and this is from the Phillips uh, translation. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed, and you will find that you have become people of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if in the process any of you does not know how to meet a particular problem, she only has to ask God, who gives generously to all without making them feel foolish or guilty. And she may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will be given her. But she must ask in sincere faith, without secret doubts as to whether she really wants God's help or not. The woman who trusts God but with inward reservations, is like a wave of the sea carried forward by the wind one moment and driven back by the next. That sort of woman cannot hope to receive anything from God, and the life of a woman of divided loyalty will reveal instability at every turn. Now, my prodigal experience taught me that God is easy to live with because God is love. But in failing to trust him to the end of that trial, I robbed myself of an opportunity to let patience have its perfect work. I left the trial. I bailed before it could fully do in me what God had intended. 
I didn't gain the wisdom promised to the one who will hang in there and hang on by faith until God is finished with the good work that he had planned. I'm like the lump of, pl of clay that jumps off the potter's wheel unfinished. I'm like the patient who runs away from the great physician still bearing my wounds. I left unfinished. I left wounded. But I came back. And you should too. You know, sometimes we leave in quiet measures. We simply close off parts of our life and we try to ignore the trials that they force on us. We choose what I call resignation, which is waiting, yet with no hope in it. There's no promise of renewed strength in the scriptures in resignation. Renewed strength is promised to those who wait on the Lord in faith. So holding still in his hand, holding fast to his promises. I just want to urge you, if there's part of your life that you're trying to pretend isn't a trial, you should begin to face it squarely. Well, how can you do that? I think you should just simply follow the steps that James outlines. James says, acknowledge you're in a trial by counting it all joy. Now, again, that's one of those incredible mindset shifts that can only happen as we let that process in Romans 12, 2 take place, that renewing of our mind by the word of God, where we're willing to embrace momentary pain for an eternal gain. So the first step of faith is embracing the reality that God is able to use this thing, this hard thing, this trial, and then let that adversity be turned into opportunity. Pray, in fact, for that very thing. Ask God for wisdom. Ask him what you can learn from the difficulty. Ask him what he wants to cultivate in you through this trial. Do you need a greater servant's heart? Maybe that's what this trial is doing. Do you need to learn self-sacrificing love? Maybe that's what this is about. Patience under provocation. The willingness to surrender your time or your energy or some other resource for what God is trying to do. Or maybe this trial is about working in you that gentle and quiet spirit that just exhibits such profound faith in God and it's willing to wait on God's resolution for the trial, God's timing in bringing this thing to completion. You know, most of us just, when we pray about our trials, we just pray, make it stop. <laughs> just It's like, you know, when you'd have a sliver in your hand and you'd go in and want your mom to just pull it out, just get it out, just make the pain stop. But you know, God has allowed the thing for a reason and I years ago found this old quote by one of those old saints, Samuel Rutherford, and he, he says about trials, let him plow, he purposes a crop. That is true. Trials do not come to us. As we said, you know, God is not capricious at all. He, when he allows a trial, there is, I guarantee you, there is a purpose behind it and the fruit will follow. And somehow you will be made whole in some new way, made a little bit more like Jesus, 
as that scripture says, changed from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So ask in faith. Receive the wisdom for your trial in joy. You know, of of course, there are lots of people who are examples for us in scripture of how to go through a trial. Paul the Apostle, though, comes to mind, and he has this one section that he writes about his trials. In fact, his whole ministry actually was characterized by them. He was chased out of towns and villages, stoned by the mob, pursued by the authorities, the religious authorities or the Romans, imprisoned without cause, left for dead in the streets, dropped over a wall in a basket. I mean, if, if it was bad, it happened to Paul. But Paul describes his experience this way. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Oh my goodness, I love that one. Because I don't know about you, but I often feel perplexed by a trial. I mean, I'm saying, I don't get it, God. <laughs> That's, it's kind of the, the constant theme song during a trial. I don't get it. I'm, but I'm so glad to know, I'm comforted, in fact, that Paul sometimes felt that same way, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And then Paul tells us why, and this is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Paul says, we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, and if, if you're like me, you don't think that what happened to Paul seemed light, and you don't think your own afflictions and trials are light. But Paul kept them in perspective by what he compared them to. And again, that's something we need in the midst of trials. We need perspective because the trial itself can is often... Uh, a real challenge for us to keep our perspective and not just kind of spin out and try to just end this thing some way, like I did, taking rash action. So Paul says, though, here's how I do it. I don't lose heart because I focus on the fact that even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is renewed day by day, and this affliction actually has a purpose. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, you and I need, we need to learn to see the invisible and to lay claim on the eternal in our lives. The invisible is the work that trials are accomplishing in us. It's spiritual work. It's divine work. It's that deep heart work that has eternal consequences and an eternal reward, an eternal weight of glory, Paul says. Now, what is that? That's a strange phrase. But, you know, C.S. Lewis, who gave us the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm sure you've read those with your kids. C.S. Lewis also wrote about this idea of a weight of glory. 
And he says that what it means really, and what he found that Bible scholars throughout the years from many different kinds of persuasions did have a common agreement about this, that it actually means fame with God. It is a good report of God's approval or appreciation. I mean, that just blows me away. That gives me chills. And as he said, the words of the parable in Matthew 25 come to mind. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You know, obviously we think about that for eternity, but the truth is you and I don't need to wait for eternity to experience that joy. Because when we keep faith with God as we walk through a trial, we feel his joy. It is a fruit of the Spirit, a result of the spiritual work that he has accomplished in us. The glory is all God's, but the joy he shares with us. So I'd like to share a little prayer with you that has been a blessing to me. I hope it will be to you as well. Father, you are easy to live with because you are love. And when we flail around under your skillful, loving hand, forgive us. And when we doubt your wisdom in the middle of our trials, forgive us. If we take a detour and wander as prodigals, bring us back to our senses. Help us to turn homeward once again and then welcome us with open arms. Teach us to trust in your love and in your wisdom when trials come. Teach us to stay until adversity has accomplished your will in us. Help us to cling to you in faith, daily seeking to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Amen. Thanks again for listening. And if you'd like to be notified of new episodes, just hit that follow button. Also, <laughs> once again, if you were blessed, please consider leaving a short review because it is super, super helpful in guiding new listeners to find their way to us. It's Think of it as leaving those breadcrumbs so that they can come and, and find us. Um, do you hang out on Instagram? If you do, I'm there too. At, at Kelly J. Grace. And if you're looking for tips on spiritual self-care, you'll find a cool guide for that on my website, kellyjgrace.com. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time.